Hi everybody, this is Coin Week editor Charles Morgan, and I'm here this week with a very interesting and insightful episode of the Coin Week podcast with Kitco's Peter Hug. Uh, in this podcast, we talk about a number of topics related to bullion and how the bullion market is reacting to the current situation with COVID-19 and the financial uncertainty that we all face uh, due to the fact that uh, it's not business as usual. Uh, we'll come back later in this week with a second podcast, probably on Saturday, with Bill Eckberg from EAC, where we're going to talk about Planchet quality, 18th century, large cents and half cents, which is a great episode, uh, which was initially uh, planned to go out before this. But Peter's information is so timely and valuable, I wanted to get it out to you as soon as I could. PCGS is a proud sponsor of the Coin Week podcast. We couldn't thank them enough for supporting the program. And uh, it really keeps us uh, going on. And you have more than 130 episodes of the Coin Week podcast, largely because of PCGS's generous support. While we have some time uh, to look at coins and, and do some research, I want you to bookmark and visit PCGS CoinFacts. It is one of the most important websites about numismatics you'll find on the internet, and it's free to use. You used to have to pay for it. I know I did. Uh, so anyway, brace yourself. Our great, engaging conversation with Peter Hug is after the music. You're going to get a one kilo dose of reality. It's going to crash land into your coffee table next on the Coin Week Podcast. Hi, Peter. Thanks for joining me again on the Coin Week podcast. It, it's certainly an interesting time to have you on. <laughs> Pleasure to be here, Charles. People are concerned about many things right now, not the least of which is their health. But also, given the extreme measures that we have had to undertake for the public good, people are also concerned about their jobs and the future of the economy. And so our conversation today uh, about the metals market and what's going on with it right now. Well, I certainly think gold is, uh, uh, you know, you would, uh, I, I guess many people, uh, many investors out there expect uh, that, you know, when you have these, uh, well, I mean, you can't even see these type of crises uh, because uh, this is totally unprecedented, that when you have this type of situation that you would expect gold maybe to be uh, sort of nudging up, uh, you know, certainly to the uh, 2011 highs, if if not in uh, not if not with a number with a 2000 handle on it. Um, but you know, this this is uh, a really this event is so so unique uh, that that it is really difficult to calibrate the value of anything uh, specific other than uh, other than cash. So if you look at the context of uh, basically all assets uh, uh, classes, and I mean, I think real estate is is, is going to take a, a substantial hit uh, over the next six months, uh, especially uh, for investors or or people that are are holding second properties and uh, you know recreational properties. I mean, if this cash crunch uh, continues uh, through the throughout uh, the summer and into the fall, I mean, those things are going to be. Uh, the first things on the block to be liquidated, so I can see uh, some serious pressure on the uh, on the real estate market coming up. 
But in this environment, uh, if we're not talking supply and demand, uh, I'm assuming you're going to get to that point somewhere down the road, uh, people are are really hunkered down and and uh, what is right now uh, the primary asset that everybody is trying to get a hold of is is cash and I don't mean cash in the context of uh, you know dollar bills in your pocket uh, but just basically cash to get you uh, uh, liquid assets to get you through uh, your potential uh, job losses if you're not uh, uh, getting uh, you know your full pay, uh, your you know your rents are coming due, your mortgages are coming due, and you know although the government is helping, uh, that is still a ways off before those checks actually uh, reach the hands of the individuals. So you know in that context, there's been uh, uh, quite a bit of liquidation in in the physical uh, market um, for no other reason than to raise cash. I mean the initial reaction, which was similar to 2008 was when the uh, financial collapse uh, started to occur in 2008, the first reaction on the metals was down. Gold dropped almost $500. And that was a reaction to people chasing the market lower uh, and selling their gold, generating cash, and then trying to pick the bottom of the stock market. And it wasn't until the stock market pretty much bottomed uh, and then started going back up that gold actually caught some wind and then made the high of 2011. And I think this is similar. I think this market right now uh, is is trading. Uh, the initial reaction was uh, we need to sell everything to raise cash uh, because they thought this pandemic that we're now facing was isolated to China uh, to, and to Italy, and uh, you know, and uh, it didn't help with the president sort of announcing that uh, you know the uh, the outbreak in the U.S. was well contained and nothing to worry about. Uh, so people saw the stock market come off 10, 15%, and they chased the market down. And uh, so there were two elements in chasing the market down. One, uh, some people that were leveraged got caught on margin, uh, so they had to raise cash. And other people basically uh, raised cash uh, to chase the equity market down. But the equity market kept dropping. And then once that equity markets uh, continued to drop, people reversed it, and then they got scared. And once they started getting scared, they moved back into gold. So gold had gotten down all the way into the high 1400s uh, when this started about four weeks ago, and now it's back north of 1600. Uh, silver went all the way down to 1150. Now it's back in the mid-14s. So now people are re-engaging in the metals as a, a sort of a protection asset, uh, as they perceive that we come out of this sometime in the fall with the $2 trillion, probably going to be $4 trillion before it's over, that's been added to this economy is going to be extremely, uh, maybe not extremely inflationary, but certainly the liquidity that has been added to this market, in my opinion, is going to uh, create a surge in the metals prices, but probably not for another month or so. There's a lot to unpack with what you just said. I'd like to go back uh, and ask you a question, and, and I know this might sound like a pointed question, but, but it is sincere. When I think back to the last precious metals run-up, the one in 2010-2011, one of the things that I saw quite a bit was politically charged, fear-based marketing from companies that sold metal products to the general public through conservative TV and radio programs. I understand that at the time, you know, the Republican Party was the opposition party. And usually the party in power owns the fiscal and tax policies of their administration. And the party in opposition is, you know, inevitably going to attack them and criticize them. In the current crisis, the Republicans control the Senate, 
and the executive branch. And government spending has become even more profligate than it was under the Obama administration. So with that, fiscal uncertainty abounds. Yet I do not see the same fervor for ideologically focused, fear-driven precious metals marketing at play. Does this surprise you? Well, you know, I, again, I think the psychology was different in, in, in that time frame because the, you know, the pundits that were out there saying we're here, you're now witnessing the collapse of the U.S. economy and the U.S. dollar, which we've been predicting since uh, gold started freely trading in 1973. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, you need you need to have your metals now. Cash is worthless, uh, and uh, you know the world is coming to an end from the context of uh, of, uh, of the financial system. And uh, you're going to need gold uh, to be able to buy gasoline and food. And uh, you know it was really more based on sort of a, a fear fear type of approach towards the investors, and it generated a lot of interest in the smaller investors to go in and, and uh, sort of chase the market up to $1,900. There was also a perception at the time. Remember, the Fed uh, was uh, uh, in QE mode, and uh, there was no inflation. Uh, there was a perception, or at least the pundits expressed the perception, that there was going to be massive inflation as a result of this uh, QE uh, package, which never, ever materialized. Um, so it was more type of a fear trade. Here, uh, you have a situation, and, and remember, a lot of these these uh, pundits, uh, again, I'm not trying to take a political slant here, I'm Canadian, so I'm just sort of observing from afar, um, I would suspect we're more sort of slanted uh, towards uh, uh, the Republican Party, uh, and uh, whereas uh, uh, the liberals tend not to be as... Um, Aggressive when it comes to uh, pretending sort of the you know the end of the world scenarios. Um, now that you have a Republican president, uh, these pundits have to sort of back away. Uh, they, um, and again, this is right now not yet an economic issue from a perspective of the financial institutions. Uh, obviously, it's an economic issue for people that have lost their jobs, but it's not yet. Uh, uh, endemic into the financial system. Now that could come. Uh, if there's going to be defaults on loans, the banks are going to take it on the chin pretty hard. So th th that could be the next shoe to fall. That hasn't fallen yet. The Fed has done everything in its power to keep the financial system at least somewhat liquid. Do you think that these smaller investors, the ones that were, you know, in large numbers called into action by these these pitches, uh, you know, the fear of the Fed, fear of fiat money, et cetera, do you think it was demand from these individual buyers that drove the market, or did the responsibility for that lie at the feet of institutional buyers? Well, I think the last run-up, uh, when gold, uh, uh, I would say over the last two years, I would, I, I, I would, based on what we're seeing on our book, uh, I think it's more uh, larger clients and institutional clients that have been uh, buying this market on the way up. Uh, so again, remember the psychology here. You, you, everybody was told in 2010, 2011, the world was coming to an end. They chased it up to $1,900. Silver went to $50 for a brief moment, and then all of these investors that uh, thought uh, that uh, they had made the right choice watched silver drop all the way from $50 down to 11, and uh, they watched gold drop all the way down from uh, you know 1925 to a low. Of in 2016 of uh, just just uh, south of 
And, you know, they basically just lost faith. I mean, uh, you know, the pundits for the last five years have been saying, uh, you know, the world's still coming to an end. The world's coming to an end. And the story's getting a little stale, or was getting a little stale, and now you have this issue. If metals rise and approach those 2010, 2011 highs, do you expect there to be some price resistance once the prior numbers are hit by individuals that bought at or near the peak a decade ago and who wish to cash out now once they got that break-even mark? I ask this because I don't know if we've seen sales volume of metals like we saw at the prior peak. Again, it'll depend where uh, you know where we are when gold hits 1900. I mean, ironically, I think we come out of the other side of the coronavirus scare here. I think gold goes up, not down, uh, because I think the Fed is going to be very reluctant to put the brakes on their liquidity measures. They're going to let the, they're going to let those stand, in my opinion, at least through uh, uh, this year and probably through half of 2021 before they start to tighten up anything in the system. So uh, the way I'm looking at this is if you have the equity market stabilizing and going higher, I actually think that is going to be bullish for gold and silver, not bearish. I I think an equity market collapse from these levels, uh, you know, and taking out the lows that we saw a couple of weeks back uh, is going to be negative for the metals because I think people will then just sell just to raise cash because uh, they're going to be looking for cash to pay their bills. So I'm I'm looking for the uh, for the metals actually to be very price positive if we come out of the corona issue, uh, coronavirus issue uh, within the next uh, 60 or 90 days. I, I I think this market's got legs and is, and has the potential of running higher. And I think if it does get up to 1900, I guess there'll be a few people that are sort of diehard holders that held it at 1900 uh, and uh, will liquidate to get their cash back. But a lot of people. Uh, you know, liquidated on the way down. We had massive liquidation of retail physical silver and gold in, uh, you know, the uh, in these ranges, in, uh, you know, the 12, uh, 12 to $15 range on silver and uh, on gold uh, south of uh, 1300 We had massive liquidation of physical. I mean, prior to the coronavirus, uh, so let's just go back to January, February of this year when silver was trading... Um, trying to remember the number, but uh, just to get around the number where it was trading, let's say $16 an ounce, maybe a little higher, uh, there was absolute, you couldn't, you couldn't give silver away. You couldn't give silver away. Uh, and uh, there, was, uh, there was discounts on the bid for physical silver and gold in the market because there was uh, a lot of secondary product coming into the market at these low levels. So I'm not suggesting that there isn't people that are still waiting for a break-even point, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, once it gets up to eighteen, nineteen hundred dollars in gold, they'll they'll liquidate a metal that they purchased ten years ago. Uh, certainly, that's going to be part of it. Uh, but I think it'll be more than offset with people thinking that well, if we get through nineteen hundred, it's going to a new high because cycles always when they when they do repeat themselves always take out the previous high or the previous low. Uh, so, you know, once you get through 1900, there's going to be every, all the pundits out there saying, okay, it's on its way now, next target, 3000 And then you're going to see all of these ads coming back in again. It's interesting to me when you think about the economic ramifications of probably where we're heading. In the U.S., we've already seen more than 10 million people add to the unemployment rolls, probably more coming this week. Now, much of this might be temporary, 
but not an insignificant number of these people may find that their jobs are now vapor. And I would imagine in the best case scenario, if everything goes according to plan, based on what the American government officials are telling us, that there's gonna be quite a lot of pain in the course of the next three to six months. And this is an issue that doesn't just affect our country, but as we can see, an outbreak anywhere in the world has the potential of spreading everywhere. So I can't imagine that we've seen economic disruption at this level since World War II. And during World War II, metals prices were more or less still stable due to the price controls set by the leading governments. This situation, therefore, seems completely unprecedented in modern history. Well, I agree. That's, uh, that's, I'm not sitting here blowing the horn that gold's going to a record high in the short term. I mean, if anything, I think uh, gold has uh, uh, got potential to go lower from these levels, and I think silver's got potential to test the $12 range again. Uh, I'm suggesting that if we get a handle on this virus and people start getting back to work and, and the economy starts to regenerate, it's going to take some time. But on the other side of this, when that happens, I think the Fed remains extremely accommodative. And I think that in and of itself is going to be bullish for the metals markets. But I'm not suggesting that in the short term uh, there's going to be severe pain uh, that the metals are going to go to new highs unless there is a crisis in the banking system. That could then spur some uh, big money moving into the metals. I mean, you know, the other thing that people have to be aware of is that the central banks for the past seven years have been buying massive amounts of gold for their reserves. And, uh, you know, every country in the world is in serious trouble right now. Uh, it would strike me that it might come to pass that the central banks start to lay off some of that gold, uh, uh, you know, to shore up their treasury uh, with dollars. Uh, so there could be some central bank liquidation here from a perspective of country risk. So that's also something that hasn't been part of this uh, scenario that's been discussed. Uh, and, uh, you know, one of the ways they can raise capital, I mean, the Russians already announced last uh, two weeks ago or last week that they were no longer buying gold this year. And, uh, you know, last year they bought about um, 60, 70 metric tons uh, for their reserves. I mean, they've announced that they're officially not buying gold. Uh, anymore in 2020 uh, for their uh, reserves. So that's a prime, that's a big central bank, the Russians and the Chinese, that were buying gold for their reserves. I would imagine the Chinese aren't aggressively buying gold either here at these levels uh, because they've got other issues. They've got liquidity issues within, uh, you know, within their, uh, their financial system. So how do you raise the capital? Yeah, you can just print it, which, uh, which is what the Fed is doing, or if you've got gold reserves, maybe you sell some of those gold reserves and generate dollars. One of the things that I'm seeing when I ask around is that the buy-sell spread for metals are further apart than at any time in the recent past. I've seen physical metals sold for levels well above spot and buy prices that are deeply discounted. Does this point to a shortage in the supply chain? Yeah, I mean, I'm sort of, uh, you know, tongue-in-cheek here, uh, uh, you know, uh, but... Let me say it this way. Uh, in Europe, the refineries are basically all shut down. There's a couple that are coming back on board uh, next week uh, that produce investment uh, investment bars in uh, gold, platinum, and uh, some of them uh, in, in silver. Uh, in Canada, the Royal Canadian Mint is hopefully going to reopen on Monday. They've been open from the perspective of taking in refining uh, and taking uh, – 
and producing large bars uh, uh, for delivery into the COMEX for teachers settlement. Uh, but their production on investment product, i.e. silver maple leaves, uh, gold maple leaves, 100-ounce uh, silver bars, 1-ounce gold bars, uh, platinum maples, blah, 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 has basically been shut down for two weeks. Now, they're going to open up on Monday, God willing, because uh, it, it's, it's, it's a fluid thing. Uh, uh, they may get notice uh, that uh, they're not going to set up produ- uh, open up production again on Monday, but let's assume they do. We've already had word from them that their first order of business for the foreseeable next few weeks is producing 400-ounce gold bars uh, because there was a major issue on delivery of gold into the COMEX for the April contract because all the gold was in London and had to be delivered to New York. The problem is there's no planes flying, so they couldn't. They couldn't execute delivery on on the April contract, which created a a major issue with the uh, spreads in the cash market over the past two weeks. Uh, Now the COMEX uh, or the CME has approved 400-ounce gold bars for delivery uh, for COMEX contracts. So the RCM's production schedule for at least the foreseeable next two or three weeks is going to be on two items. One is going to be 400-ounce gold bars, and the other one is going to be uh, silver maple leaves. Now, they haven't produced silver maple leaves in two weeks. There are no silver maple leaves in the market right now. Uh, so it's going to take them a while uh, just to meet the, the, the pent-up book demand from, from the distributors, uh, which I would estimate is probably in the neighborhood of 2 to 3 million ounces of pent-up demand. It's going to take them in probably several weeks to catch up with that demand. On the U.S. mint side, uh, about two, three weeks ago, they basically ran out of silver eagles. Uh, they're just now starting to deliver silver eagles into the market and gold eagles and gold buffaloes into the market. But they are delivering product into the market. So now it comes down to the following. I mean, you know, and again, uh, you know, we're a retailer. We've got to go with supply and demand, and our premiums are up at the $7, $8 range, too, for, uh, you know, silver eagles and gold eagles are at, like, 90 bucks. Uh, but i got to tell you what... what uh, what the you know the U.S. government is now, or the, at least the states are saying, you know, if we catch anybody price gouging on 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 masks, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna charge these guys. But they consider the precious metals industry an essential industry because uh, uh, otherwise the the mints would be closed, uh, the refineries uh, uh, would be would be shut, and uh, and the depositories would be shut. None of them are shut; they're all considered essential in, uh, industries. Now, the, the big primary dealers, the big banks and some of the big distributors in the U.S. have access to uh, Silver Eagles from the U.S. Mint at $2. And uh, Gold Eagles, at, uh, at the premium just went up to 4 but they were getting them at, four, at 3%. And these guys are selling to the secondary dealers at 7 8% over market. And then those dealers have got to make a couple of percent. So by the time the retail guy gets into the Gold Eagle or Buffalo, he's paying anywhere from nine to twelve percent over the market. I mean, a hundred, a hundred and fifty to two hundred dollars over gold. He's already paying the twenty eleven high if he wants to buy an Eagle or a Buffalo. Silver Eagles, the premiums at ten dollars. I'm just talking base price. I'm talking if silver is at fourteen dollars, you can go on a number of websites. You'll see people selling Silver Eagles at twenty four, twenty five bucks. Uh, these coins normally sell at $2.75 over spot. 
I mean, we've got a digital program where the Royal Canadian Mint is the custodian, so we have sovereign guarantee on the metal. Uh, you can't get better than that. I mean, the, basically, the Bank of Canada or the government of Canada would have to go in default before you were at risk. And quite frankly, I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there that don't want to buy uh, uh, an asset that's in an account. They'd rather have the physical. But, I mean, I, I would never in my wildest dreams, pay $10 over spot for a Silver Eagle because when this comes out on the other side, those premiums are going to come right back down to three, four bucks. So if you can buy something that is relatively safe, well, in my opinion, safe, uh, uh, where you can get in at the silver price here at 14.50 or, you know, 14.60 and then just hold that asset and then once the coins become available on the market, swap that asset for coins, you're going to save yourself seven bucks an ounce. I guess the fear element that people have is that you're buying metal to brace yourself to survive a economic a displacement. And if somebody is holding on to that metal for you, then you probably don't have it readily available when you might need it. Uh, let's go to the apocalypse, apocalypse, apocalypse argument. Let's go there. Let's assume the financial system totally collapses and dollars are no longer viable. For whatever reason, I mean, I can't imagine cash not being viable, but let's assume it's not viable. And there is a complete, total collapse of the supply chain in the United States, which means there's no food, there's no gasoline, there's virtually nothing that's available because everything is shut down. It's a total financial collapse. And you happen to need gasoline for your car. And your neighbor next door has got gasoline. You think if you knocked on his door and said, here's one ounce of gold, give me a gallon of gasoline, he's likely to give it to you? Like, what's he going to do with that one ounce of gold? If there's no financial system, there's no liquidity in the gold. Where's he going to sell that gold? What's he going to do with that gold? If anything, he's going to want to barter you for something else. He'll say, okay, I'll give you a gallon of gasoline, but I want three dozen eggs. I don't see the barter argument that if the system completely implodes, and there's like just anarchy on the streets and all that, that you can actually take your one ounce gold bar and barter it for something. I mean, I don't see it. I could be totally wrong. Well, I think it's not necessarily that extreme. Uh, and I'm not, you know, a proponent of, you know, this way of thinking. But I think history has shown that in times of financial trouble, some companies uh, that have offered to store customer metals in their own vaults, have either leveraged customer assets to the point where there's nothing left in the vault for customers to claim when the company goes under. Plus, I think some people like the idea of being in control of the metals that they purchased and uh, being able to dictate what happens to it. And this is part and parcel uh, of why in many cases it's better to have immediate physical access to metal whenever the time arises that you need it. Obviously, in a zombie apocalypse scenario, you know, you're going to need shovels, pickaxes, bullets, and water. You probably don't want to run away from zombies with, uh, with a kilo of gold in your pocket. I'm not suggesting there's no risk, but you basically have to have the government of Canada going totally in default before there would be a risk on, on the asset I was just talking about. And I'm not saying that's not uh, possible. Uh, but it would be the government of Canada that would have to def uh, completely default on this obligation. So, I, 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 I mean, when you compare that to your risk or your, uh, uh, your delivery uh, uh, promises with an ETF, there's no comparison. 
And people are chasing ETFs like like it's going out of style. The inflows into the ETF market is just incredible. Whereas, and I'm not, you don't even have to talk uh, government of Canada. You can talk to Perth Mint in Australia. Uh, the, the, these are government guaranteed programs. Now, again, if, if, if you don't believe the government will stand behind their guarantee, fair enough. Uh, and uh, ETFs would definitely fall well below that ladder in my mind if I were an investor. Uh, buying an ETF relative, a government-guaranteed uh, um, uh, metals deposit. Uh, and then if you want physical. Now, if you want physical, uh, right now, because of supply and demand, and because dealers are basically, you know, it's, you know, the big wholesale dealers, uh, you know, when when the markets are quiet, they make themselves 10 cents, 15 cents spreads on these eagles when they sell at the secondary dealers. Uh, and when uh, when it rains, like it's raining right now, these guys go to town, and they're charging 5 to $6 per Silver Eagle over their acquisition costs to secondary dealers who then got to make something. So by the time the retail guy gets involved with a Silver Eagle, he's anywhere from 10 to $15 over market. Personally, I would not be buying a physical coin at $15 over market. I mean, I just wouldn't do it. That's just not how I'm built. I mean, silver literally almost has to get to 70% of the high in 2011 before you even break even. That's an important thing to keep in mind. You probably have a little more latitude when it comes to buying gold. I mean, I think a 20 or $30 premium for gold isn't as bad as a 5 or $10 premium for silver. Premium. There's a guy in California, got a great website, uh, you know, and I'm not going to give you names. I went on his site yesterday. Gold was trading at, I don't know, 1585 he was selling American Gold Eagles at $1,798. And, and I'm sure he was selling. And he was selling out. I, I mean, uh, to me, it's just, uh, I don't know. It'd be kind of cool if the U.S. Mint said to the primary dealers, look, we'll give you Silver Eagles at, at your $2 cost. Uh, with the proviso, you can't sell them more than $4 over. One thing that I definitely caution people to do if they're listening to this podcast and they might be stirred to buy some metals right now, Make sure you know uh, that your source is trading a genuine precious metal product, preferably in the form of bullion coins struck by a leading sovereign mint or one of the leading uh, bullion producing private mints. So long as the uh, source of the metals that you're buying from has a strong reputation for delivery, a track record of honesty and can promise immediate delivery upon receipt of payment. Uh, you know, there's no such thing as a deal on precious metals products. And again, there is no deal to be had if uh, the coins you buy at discount turn out to be fake. Uh, well, I mean, most dealers, I, again, I can't say most, but I mean, yeah, if you go to a reputable dealer, I mean, look at some of their history and all that. I mean, most of the dealers source, uh, uh, dealers of size uh, can source either directly from uh, sovereign locations or directly from refineries. But again, with the rotating shifts and all that, production uh, coming into the market is not meeting demand. And until that sort of levels off, uh, you're going to have these high premiums in the physical market. There's just no uh, way of getting around it, uh, you know, unless the wholesalers are uh, inclined to be a little bit more accommodative on their spreads. But again, you know, they're in business to make money. And right now, uh, uh, demand is exceeding supply. So if they can get away with a you know, a 7% premium on Eagles when they're paying 3%, uh, they're going to do it. And uh, that's that's what you're seeing, and that's why you're seeing those spikes in premiums. Peter, before I let you go, uh, and you're a fountain of knowledge and a person of great integrity in this industry, 
Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the way things are going to play out over the next three to six months? Uh, I think people, at least the talking heads on TV, and they obviously have to do that because they want to be somewhat optimistic. Uh, I think with what has happened in the world from a, uh, from a supply chain disruption and just getting everybody back to work, uh, again, there's still all these unknowns about, uh, you know, we can sort of bring the curve down, but then do we go back to work? Uh, like China's now reporting that uh, there's a reinfection rate. They shut down another province. Uh, I mean, until I think they have an antidote, I, I think that this is going to be something that we're going to be working out of for many, many, many months. I'm hoping that we can get the economy back on track from the perspective of at least 50% of the people now at home getting back to work by end of summer. But then again, just getting that all back and recalibrated, getting the inventories restocked, uh, uh, it, it, it is a massive undertaking that still lays ahead of us, and it's a global issue. If it was just in the U.S., uh, you know, and we came out of it, and the rest of the world was still operating, it would be much less dramatic. But the whole world is in this situation. The whole world has to recalibrate and restart their supply lines. Um, I mean, I can't imagine if somebody said, okay, uh, the coronavirus is basically sort of flat. Who in their right mind is going to be the first person on a cruise ship? I mean, who's, who in their right mind is going to be the first person on an airplane? I, I mean, there's just going to be a lot of lag before people rebuild their confidence that it's safe. Uh, and that's going to, uh, in my opinion, have a, a really, really serious impact on the economy, probably at least through mid-2021. You know, before calibration comes back in and we start to, you know, re-gear. But I, I think it could take that long. And in that context, there's all kinds of other sectors that haven't even felt this yet, like the housing market. And uh, and a lot of the people that are unemployment right now, there's absolutely no guarantee that there'll be a job for them in three months. You know, that these businesses will even reopen. Well, I think you make valid points. And, uh, you know, if you want to, you could compare this to the 1918 flu uh, pandemic, but in many ways, this situation is totally different. With uh, coronavirus, you can be infected and not know anything about it. You know, you can board a plane and be anywhere in the world within 24 hours, uh, which means that unless we develop uh, the medical or scientific means to mitigate community spread and develop a method of medical human immunity, then this is a threat that's with us and something that we should take seriously. And it's up to our governments to partner with universities and research labs and private industry and spend whatever it takes to develop a, a solution so that uh, people can get back to work uh, and get back into their communities. Kids can go back to school and we can go on living our lives. Yeah, and I mean, if you listen to the experts, I mean, they're on fast-tracking everything, but even in their most optimistic optimistic uh, projections, they're talking a vaccine maybe available, maybe, first quarter of 2021. Uh, after they do their testing in, in the fall, and then by the time they produce it, now if they have a vaccine by that time, then you know, then it's a matter of okay, how quickly can you get it out, and how, uh, how many, how much can you make so you can inoculate the world, so to speak. Uh, and uh, again, that's all. It's I think it's all going to happen. 
I'm just a little concerned that their time windows here are a little bit too optimistic. Uh, and if it doesn't happen until the end of the year that we have a vaccine and then it takes another three months to sort of get it into the general population, um, you know, we're talking about restarting this on, on a serious basis first quarter next year. And so how much damage between now and then is going to uh, ensue um, yeah, in, the, in, in the economy with businesses? I mean, the government's bailout is two months. Maybe they're obviously going to have to extend it. Uh, but, you know, until... We get that vaccine and, and people have confidence, okay, I got my shot, I'm cool. Um, it, it's going to take a while to get consumer confidence back up and, and revved up again to get this uh, economy not only in North America but also globally uh, back on track. And so I'm, so I'm a little bit conservative on how quickly this is going to happen. And in the interim, I think we're in for some uh, serious issues. And uh, and normally you would think gold would be at $2,000 an ounce, but again, I think there's a big component here of people just trying to stay as liquid as possible and, uh, and, and just selling anything they can sell to generate cash because that right now is king, in my opinion. Well, Peter, this was a good jumping off point. It was good of you to take some time this morning to talk to us again. Stay safe, and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Yeah, Charles. Yeah, I wish you the best and uh, stay safe. And uh, to all of your listeners, uh, uh, yeah, be safe. And I, I do believe we'll come out the other end. And uh, fingers crossed it'll be quicker than I'm anticipating. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, we're all in it together. And it's just a matter of, uh, you know, bearing down and grinding through it, I guess. I mean, I don't know what else to say. If you like this episode of the Coin Week Podcast, please share with your friends. Remember, you can download every episode of Coin Week Podcast for free on the iTunes Store or stream it online on CoinWeek.com. For Coin Week, I'm editor Charles Morgan. Until next time, happy collecting. Okie dokie.